Welcome to the Wiggly Sofa in Lower Blakemere Farm. I'm Heather. I'm Richard. And I'm Farmer Phil. We've got a real special coming up today. Rich, tell us all about it. Sir Roy Strong, I believe. Sir Roy Strong, yeah, yeah. Well, we met briefly at the um, Flower Festival in Hereford a while ago, and he didn't have a chance to talk to us about his garden and bits and pieces. But because the Lasket, which is a garden that he, he's created, one of the, well, it's, it's, I guess it's a formal garden, but you don't want to call it formal because there's more to it than that. It's really interesting. But because it's in Herefordshire, quite literally down the road, I was able to pop over and go and chat to him about it. And he was kind enough to give me a tour. So he spent a good hour or so wandering around and he was telling me about all the different elements of his garden and how he'd done it and why he'd done it and all well, those kind of things. Yeah, well, I know you know who he is, but loads of people won't have a clue, will they? Okay. I mean, Knight of the Possibly. Realm. Yeah, sure. He's done many things, actually. I think probably uh, one of his major achievements was being the youngest director of the V&A Museum in, in London. Initials? Come on. Uh, Victoria and Albert. Oh, of and, course. Uh, but, but uh, you know, a man of many achievements and very interesting bloke and a genuine bloke as well. You know, a really nice guy. Right then. Now, dear listener, if you are in the mood for frivolity... And laughter, if you're in the mood for diversity and bits and bobs, turn off. Give it a miss. But if you're in the mood to really get inside somebody's mind, somebody's life, somebody's garden, somebody's emotion, this is the podcast for you. (laughs) You'll need a box of tissues, but I reckon it's one of the best Wiggly podcasts ever. Enjoy. Sir Roy, it's lovely to meet you. Thank you very much for um, inviting me to come and have a look at your wonderful garden. It's, it's amazing that you live in Herefordshire and you've managed to create something like this in deepest, darkest Herefordshire. What, what brought you here originally? Poverty. That's <laughs> the answer to that. It was the only place we could afford to buy a, a house which had initially three and a half acres of land. There was no intent to making a garden. Right. And the house is set into the corner and a revolution really happened when the farmer said he didn't want the field. It never crossed my mind to ask for planning permission. Right. And within a fortnight of being here, I fell in love with gardening, which my wife was already passionate about. And then, unbeknown, we made the largest formal garden made in England since 1945, stretching over four acres. That is quite an achievement. With about 20 rooms, peach lime avenues, new hedges, topiary... You didn't realise that you were able to get this piece of land when you first came here, though. You just you bought the house and you and, and it had a garden adjacent to the house that was a certain size, and you and you sort of fell in love with that. And did you had you anticipated that you were going to have this massive extension? No, no, no not at all. No, not at all. Except that I mean, the creation of a country house garden then suddenly uh, hooked me. And it happened during a period during the seventies when things were extremely bad. And I was director of the Victorian Albert Museum. We did a great exhibition on the loss of our country houses and then a later one on the loss of our gardens. So this was planted with a real sense. I suppose it never crossed our minds we were creating what people seem to think is one of the great gardens in this country in the late 20th century. It's very elaborate, stretching over a huge amount of space. Um, But it was, as it were, deliberately planted as a gesture that English people have always planted amazing gardens and we will go for it. With very little money... And not much help. <laughs> so, did you uh, did you get? Uh, can you were you able to get any external funding from anywhere to, to no, create this? No, not it's, at all. There's, uh, there's, I mean, so it explains why the garden is done in reverse, and that means that the cheaps were plant, uh, plants were cheap in the seventies. Okay. And uh, so the hard landscaping came later, 
I resigned being director of the Victorian Albert Museum in 1987, when I was 52, in order to try and make some cash. And you'll see all the sculpture and the hard landscape that comes <laughs> after that date. It okay. shows it can be, can be done. Okay. If you ask about the style of the garden, well, it is unashamedly nostalgic. In the 70s, uh, people were inspired by people like Rosemary Veary at Barnsley, who was a great influence on this garden. Yeah. And what I call country house gardens before 1914, gardens, uh, I suppose, like Hidcote, romantic with clipped yew hedges, formal vistas. It's, it is quite stunning. I think we've picked the... Uh, we're quite fortunate, really, we've picked the most beautiful autumnal day. This is really. a beautiful autumnal day, and we're, looking, we're, in fact, looking at the first garden that I planted... Okay. I dug the beds in August 1974 and planted the yew two feet high in December of that year. And it was when I realised we bought the wrong house because this was the only garden room I could plant in alignment to the house. The okay. rest of it's all over the place. Okay. But that's all right. And as you can see, it is a contained room with amelanchias trained into standards, a parterre of green and golden yew. Uh, and it's full of pots with marguerite daisies at the moment. And then I've just up, updated the planting, so there's swathes of grasses. So I'm into the new planting with sure. swathes of perennials and grasses, which make a wonderful contrast to the old-fashioned formality. So yeah, it's taken absolutely, the garden they, on do, they do. I'm, I'm astonished that something so beautiful can be created in, in, in such a relatively short space of time. Well, it takes 15 years to get yew hedges up to this height, which I suppose are about... Um, 10 feet high. They are, they're at least 10 feet high. You know, they're the, very thick. I know I've mentioned this before, but we often think of you as being a relatively slow grower. No, you isn't slow. You grows at the rate of a, a, a foot and more per year. Right, OK. Well, that's significant, isn't it? And it's the queen of hedges, and I bitterly regret all the Leylandi I paint. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, are, you, are you systematically changing some of, yes. these, some of the plants? Yes, I'm in the middle of some... Last of where I am in this garden. The garden is now... 34 years old it was planted from scratch and my wife died four years ago right. and you then have to take the decision that you've really got to be quite radical in the garden because here we stand for instance there are conifers here that must be 100 feet high I put them in 3 feet high already two of them That's have gone incredible. from here right. so we're going, I'm going through the garden taking things out right. lowering hedges right. reshaping them and this is I don't know and I'm going to do a book on this this, uh, this this garden has. Uh, we've only just started walking around it, but it has many features. I mean, for uh, it has a, a fantastic isolated spaces here. Well, the, the garden was planted with the idea of constant surprise, right? Because garden making is really placing human beings in architectural space, although it's horticultural space. Uh, okay. And therefore, it is about creating contrasting shapes as it were galleries or corridors with something at the end to beckon you on a seat or a statue you turn a corner then there's a vista and you see the landscape you find yourself in a contained room where there's a certain colour of plant and you come out of that I mean here we're standing at a very elementary level in garden planning we just had a grand slam party it's a knockout job okay. you then go through to what a garden writing friend of mine said suddenly when he said, oh, an antechamber. And I said, what do you mean by an antechamber? He said, when you do a grand wallop in garden between the eyes, you then need a little cool-off area. So there's this little cool-off area. It's just an Irish yew, few conifers, little green area. There's nothing to wind you up. And as you know, we're now moving on. 
there's just there's something very significant about this space i mean for us we really encourage people to garden for wildlife more than anything else and in many respects garden for wildlife is a, it can be very mishmash and uh, well and, this and not the, particularly the thing the thing concise. i, the thing <laughs> I regret is that we weren't organic from the start right. I and mean, we are now totally okay but on the other hand i don't know how we would have maintained a garden on this scale without using weed killers to begin with but uh, this is a difficult one and that's a dilemma that lots of people are faced with and, uh, and we'll I wouldn't touch it to now I, I think it's so absolutely it just gives me the horrors we went over I think about 15 years or more ago now and uh, I'd rather see a, a, a plant die than spray it frankly sure um, absolutely quite, uh, how much time do you spend in your garden now? You must have spent a considerable amount of your the, the, the last well, few years of your life. Well, things got done when they got done. I was at the height of my career. I was on every arts committee in the country. I was running a museum with 750 staff, 12 acres of building, five branches. And my wife was doing great productions at the Royal Opera House Covent Garden. But then they often say people who are very busy can do more and more. Sure. And we did all this. I mean, the, the fatal thing is to read any of those gardening columns that tells you what to do this week or this month. I'd have shot myself 30 years ago. <laughs> Everything was pruned at the wrong moment and chopped down at the wrong moment. Yeah, yeah. And you just had to get out there and do it. Ain't that the truth? Now we're walking through the sympavias and they're so well matured. There's some beautiful mosses and whatnot. It's all, it all, it's all blended in perfectly, really. Well, this is a later garden. The one, the one we started at was mid-1970s. This one in front of the house, basically 1990s, when we paved this. And it's a different in feel. In the 90s, gardening changed from the romantic phase to using found objects. And, for instance, there's a... Uh, there you can see something which is over a mound of earth. It's two Victorian spiral staircases you can go up. Right. And a little platform and look out onto the landscape of Gloucestershire, look down on this garden. Okay, so it's just using things that you, that you find, like my wife making pedestals, designed pedestals here for some statues of bears which came from a, a grotto she did at Warwick Castle, and using Victorian industrial brick and then putting a grill from a radiator on top. Right, right. That's amazing. Now, how would you describe the front of the house? Because my wife would front completely house, fall in love with that. Well, I've just done that in the last four years. The house is about 1835, early Victorian, but the proportions are Victorian. And thank God it isn't listed. Never, never buy a listed property. <laughs> um, and I have embroidered onto it and turned the front of the house so it looks like a kind of classical Palladian doll's house with pilasters and classical windows. And then I put my wife's, my late wife's, and my own coat of arms above. And then a motto in Latin above the, the classical entrance porch, which says in Latin, peace be to whoever enters this house. It's beautiful. I think you've created something quite different. You know. There yeah. is a danger with, with something, but I mean, I, I, I don't know how to say this quite with it, but I mean, obviously, someone with, with your. Um, esteemed career and uh, and the input that you've had throughout your life you you it is, would assume that you would be able to create something as beautiful as that but often when people attempt to do something slightly different some uh, d- d- things can have a habit of not working but what you've achieved here is i'm still i'm still working at it and also the, the garden is very personal all the way through you'll find there are things which we call bits of our lives or friends or things we've done that that is a kind of light motif in in the garden did i read somewhere that you brought some plants from uh, from your wife's oh, yes. childhood home the quince from uh, oh the quince trevelyan's um home in oxford okay and i i hope you would mar the fact that um 
I planted that yew hedge in front of the house and went all the way up and I've cut it right down, demolished it, okay. having waited 20 years for it to grow. <laughs> and I've demolished it so we can see the facade of the house and I'm cutting it into green clouds. Behind is my name-dropping statue. I did a lot for Prince Charles at Highgrove and I got four statues for him and I bought an extra one. Right. So it's my name-dropping statue. Okay. <laughs> Flora, Flora sits in her place. She's, uh, she's definitely suited to that spot. And what I'm doing at the moment, because you plant things and then they grow, a garden gets very claustrophobic. And yeah. suddenly I realised after 30 years, the garden was claustrophobic. We're, we're standing now, you get a vista through to the garden we started in. 18 months ago, you couldn't do that. And that is because I've taken out two conifers 150 feet high. Okay. So I've been opening up vistas and letting the light in. Right. And I've got such energy as I'm in my eighth decade, but I'm still <laughs> planting you, still altering, still doing you do seem I, I can't bear people who give sprightly. up. Yeah, no, I absolutely. I, I remember someone said to us, but, but you're both so unusual. And I said, what do you mean? But you're always altering, you're always adding things. Well, it just doesn't everybody. Oh, no, they just lay the garden out and that's it. Yeah, sure. And this is my latest. I got the signs to the restaurant and then this is my latest spectacle. Wow. Which I only did last winter. It is beautiful. I, when I pulled up here earlier, I thought, this is astonishing, and, and uh, I'm so glad I've had the opportunity to come and have a look at it. I mean, it's a vista from the west front of the house, going up through a... Well, there's a fountain playing, flanked by medlar trees, which my life, wife loved, and then there's a path leading all the way up and through the kitchen garden, and it leads up through a garden uh, with a beech hedge, now turning that lovely autumn copper caramel colour, full of topiary, which I trained over 25 years. I had some leftover bits of you from hedging. Okay. And then we've just gone up and beyond that and planting you hedging. I've entirely relayed out the kitchen garden. Gorgeous, and I, I, I can I can see a couple of cats up here as well, Sir Roy. Do you? Well, uh... Oh well, I've got. I'm mad about cats. My cats live indoors, but that is a wonderful little tortoiseshell cat that nice. belongs to the garden. We call Katie. We're walking by a box tree. We had the box disease here, which has taken a terrible toll on this garden. But there are a pair of box trees here that arrived. They're now, let's say, six feet high. They arrived two feet high from my little house in Brighton, the first garden I ever had. And wow. We popped them in here. Wow. That's beautiful, isn't it? Nice to bring things with you. I, I've, I've done that previously yeah, as well. It's, uh... My wife was uh, uh, okay. My wife was brought up in, in uh, a lot in Oxford in a house called Fruin Hall in the War, and her grandfather was a very famous historian. And everywhere the omens went, they've taken a sucker of that tree, and it's a very rare quince tree. And she adored quince trees, and we had about ten, ten varieties in the garden. Wow. She was quince tree mad. Did she used to do things with the quinces? Did, did oh, you guys well, used to eat the you quinces can make, You things? can make... Uh, I've just been doing um, quinces for the, the deep freeze. Right. Uh, they make a wonderful compote. Baked quinces, Sir Isaac Newton's favourite pudding. Yeah, OK. Um, oh, yeah, you can do quite... And quince jelly, of course. And now this is where... This is... We're coming to the bit... You probably notice this is where the beech hedging planted 30 years ago. We've just been lowering it, sure. and it's regenerating, and we've right. been cutting it back. Right. And we're now standing where, in 1973, in August 73, we stood here, and where you're looking at was a blank field because the farmer rang up and said, I don't want it for my sheep any longer, and off the sheep went, and we were faced with a three-acre field, blank, and if you look at it now, my wife... You, I could think that that has been there for 500 years. Yeah, well, my wife said, oh, I think there must have been a lawn tennis court there. So we mowed a flat bit of land back and I planted 
the yew hedge about two feet high around what is the rose garden. And then in 1977, I laid this path with my own hands. I'd never get a job as a nevy, I can tell you that. I, I think it's superb. It's great the way you haven't used cement. And, and this, is, um, this is the garden planted in 77 for the Queen's Silver Jubilee, and it's white iceberg roses, little white pet in the middle, and then flowers, uh, and there's a yellow rose called Charlotte from David Austin, and then flowers in shades of violet and lavender and purple. Um, And it's a circular garden, as you see. And in the middle there's a dial that came from Cecil Beaton, the great designer and photographer. He was very nice to me when I was a young man. And there's his white willow herb there, growing still, which he got from Regent's Park. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And uh, as you can see, there's a vista down with an arch at the end. And behind that, there's a little area we call the Scandinavian... It's called the Scandinavian Grove because it's planted with silver birch trees. And again, all those trees, everything you see here was put in by us um, well I'm astonished myself I, I, I think you know, when, I, when I look around though I've, I've, I've kind of have preconceptions of, of formal gardens being something that might alienate wildlife but in fact this uh, this garden because it's so diverse provides I think by looking at it provides all sorts of opportunities oh for there's loads of habitat wildlife. I can tell you Sean the garden keeps on popping little birdhouses up on everything <laughs> um, well, they're very keen on that well, this is the Rose Garden, which was paved in 2003. It's formal. It's a square bed in the middle and four spandrel beds, like the letter L. And then within them, there's four standard beech. Because the garden goes onto rock, and beech will grow on rock. And there's an urn in the middle. And then the planting is uh, the box edging to the beds, which is very pretty. And then the roses are old-fashioned ones, 19th century Victorian, and then, you know, the new breeds of old-fashioned ones, and then sh- in shades of pink right. into claret. And it's underplanted with, uh, around the statues, the, the statues of the seasons in the corners, uh, underplanted with catmint and ladies' mantle, Alcamilla mollis, and Mastrantia hadsbone blood, and with purple verbena at the back. And it looks a dream in June... But it's October. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, and also, I can imagine what it does look like. Big though. lesson in change of levels and vista. You see, looking back, yeah. we're looking back through the Queen Silver Jubilee Garden, up a little flight of steps, along the avenue between two beech hedges and an obelisk at the end. And again, you can see what I mean. I, I get tremendous excitement out of controlling how people can see things. Yeah, sure. And then, then the brave thing through here, you see the far side of the garden. Wow, yeah. And we did. That's uh, some sort of depth of field, you know cross paths in the orchard and then we had, which we did in the 1990s then we had to decide having waited 25 years for the yew hedge to go 8 feet high whether to cut through it Right. I remember crawling on all fours thinking dare we do it or didn't we do it and then we did it and this then, is amazing anyway let's keep going yes it's like a magical mystery tour for me well not a bad garden it's and then there's art the art which closes the vista of the rose garden is the result of the previous gardener cutting down what was already a formed yew arch, and he must have understood, misunderstood something I said. And I thought, well, it's checkbook time. <laughs> and then I was making a bit of money. So there's a phony classical arch gone up with a Latin inscription, Conditor Horti Felicitatis Altos, they who plant a garden plant happiness. Right. Which is very true. It is, absolutely. And then we go down to the little wild spring garden called the Scandinavian Grove, which hasn't got anything here at the moment, which is dappled with hellebores, primulas, crown imperials, um, fertilities in spring, and then it's over. Oh. Oh. 
Well, this is a very different area. It is. It's the last area we colonised in the garden. On one side, there's a kind of bank with a path running along the top. And that literally was, every time we did something to the house, we said to the builders, dump the earth there. Okay. And then eventually, we did something with this. And I came out with a pot of whitewash and painted on the turf waving lines to create wavy borders. And it's a mixed border, as you can see, of perennials and shrubs. And there's a bank against the, the other side of the yew hedge from the rose garden, which is just carpeted with um, primroses in spring, just thick. And you can see some of my wife collected crab apples. She had 98 varieties. Oh, that's amazing. And, but I had to cull those because we had so many. <laughs> I, I mean, they were literally being planted eight feet apart. She, she was absolutely crazy about them. So this is this whole thing about things growing and, and beginning to sort of thin them down. After 30 years, you have to start taking things out. Yeah, sure. And then we come down through here, and here's another one of my antechains. And a little oh, monument. Isn't this amazing? A little monument to a much-loved cat who was called the Reverend Wenceslas Muff. He was a clerical cat, I think. OK. And we rescued him. We came across the fields. And I have no snobbery about ornament. It's quite small, isn't it? It's about four feet high. It's a kind of classical pedestal reconstituted stone with a kind of classical knob on the top, which I gilded, and then commissioned from a local artist in Hereford, a wonderful man called Reg Bolton, four plaques in slate, which give the dates of, of, of this much-loved cat, and it says brave one side and loving the other, right. which he was. And, and then a little, little kind of relief of him wearing clergyman's bands. That's amazing. That's amazing. There are and very I mean, few cats that have, have that kind of tribute. Yeah. Well, that is astonishing. He was a wonderful cat. Well, you know, some animals look after you, or, and then the others, you look after them. This, this creature looked after us. He was a great rabbiter. He caught 32 rabbits in this garden one day. Oh, wow. And now there's a look. We're going to a little hidden wall of um, laurel. To the Great Peach Lime Avenue. This this is incredible. Every time we come through a new space, then something else opens up. I love surprise. I can't. uh, There's no way you could anticipate what this garden's going to do. It is. Um, It's an avenue of peach lime, 65 yards long, three times the length of the famous one at Sissinghurst. Okay. Source of pride, and went through many, many changes. But it's limes where the three branches are arranged as a tier tied together so that every year we cut off the twigs and then beneath it a beech hedge has been planted which has been cut into swags like like waves the whole way along and in inside that there's an inner low yew hedge interspersed regularly with irish yew kept low and then out of the low yew hedge there are standard laurels which i'm still training into pom-poms and the whole path is paved, which we did in the middle of the 90s. And at one end, there's a column with a golden crown on the top. The walk is called Elizabeth Tudor, after the first Elizabeth, because I wrote a little book on her, my wife designed it, and then I proposed to her. Oh. So that... Quite uh, beautiful. Uh, yes, it's a rather romantic mm. monument. And I commissioned the... On the bottom of the column, there's the crown of Elizabeth I, Elizabeth II, ER1 and ER2. And for our Queen's Golden Jubilee, I had the golden imperial crown made. And, and gilded and placed on top of the column. It looks pretty good. It does look pretty good, I have to say. And I have yeah. a motto, you can't have enough gold in the garden. <laughs> I'm walloped on. Uh, yeah, oh, well, I, <laughs> I'm not so sure about that, but I, I, you, you, you definitely haven't got too much gold in here. That's a short fact. 
It does kind of complement the gold that you've you've put in on, on the sculptures. Really uh, complemented by all the, the shades of the beach, though, at this time of year. Yes, well, I love the autumn. I love spring. I think uh, October is a hard month to beat, isn't it? Well, we're lucky because we've we had such a terrible summer this year, and now suddenly uh, it's kind of a magic day you've hit. It is. I'm oh, very lucky. Really, really, really beautiful. And running a garden like this, you have to be quite relaxed. I mean, even though I got the help of two people on it, it's still a very, very large garden to keep going. And, of course, this isn't a garden that's open to the public per se, is it? It's occasionally, I open to I groups. Think, I open about 12 days a year, six of those days that raise money for local charities, you know, yeah. Macmillan Nurses or the Cathedral Choir School or whatever. OK. And then six days is to raise money for me to pay for the garden. Right, right. Um, eventually quite, it is also left... Uh, the whole garden is left uh, and the house and everything to the Vivat Trust and it will pass then into the public domain. Right. So the public will get... Well, that's... that's yeah, sure, yeah. And we're here really at a... A major point in the garden, standing by something called the Shakespeare Monument, which is an urn about 12 feet high, phony, but tarted up. And in 1980, I was awarded something called the Shakespeare Prize, which is awarded by a foundation in Germany once a year to the person in the UK considered one the most for the arts. And the list is amazing. It's Margot Fontaine, Henry Moore, David Hockney, Doris Lessing, Harold Pinto, and so it goes on. And to be even thought of in that league I find amazing yeah and anyway <laughs> one way we look back on the golden column with the crown on the top oh, gosh, yeah. and then another way we look up to the Victorian Albert Museum temple I was director of the museum and you see it ascends the, the walk to the column is flat and then you're seeing the land rise away and steps gradually ascending with arches of Viburnumopolis and marvellous sort of plummy it's autumn trees that. Yeah, that and going gorgeous. up beyond the formal garden and then there's what I call a, a cheap temple at the end but it's not bad <laughs> it's absolutely amazing I mean when, I, when I'm kind of wandering around I, I think we were walking around an area of 20 acres rather than, rather than four and this here so this much. is brave you see behind this urn I chopped down all the quick growing conifers Right. And I've planted it with laurel, and I'm going to clip the laurel into a great curved wall. Oh, right. I think it's not bad in my 73rd year still to be doing that. No, no. Well, the thing is, you, you know, you really, you, you could have another 30 years in you, so... Yeah, I want another 30 years. <laughs> this is a new herb garden, you know. It's only 18 months old. We're now going, turning back in another direction. And again, we cleared space. And also something I'm getting pleasure from is opening views from the garden onto the landscape. And here we stand and we look over oh, yes. towards Gloucester and to May Hill yeah. across the wonderful Herefordshire landscape. And I'm still, I hope you noticed here, uh, what I'm doing. Uh, I love doing topiary. <laughs> and I'm still letting, you know, a, a single sprig go up from a yew head and then cut it into kind of cake stands and pom-poms. I'm still doing it. It's just, it's, it does look great. It's fun. I mean, this is quite a young yew hedge. I think it's about five years old. Is that all? And then here I made a new topiary garden. And again, I'm still training oh, birds and, you know, tears and that sort of thing. And there's my little Walt Disney. Yes, yes. I've got a, a little 18th century figure painted in 
wearing a nice blue jacket and knee breeches and a little yellow waistcoat. And he's, uh, he's like a little 18th century gardener. He's just sitting on the grass, resting his foot on the spade. <laughs> when I first met you, when, when I listened to your talk, you showed a few sort of visual images of these things, and then it's difficult to, get, to put them into context, and you, you kind of wonder whether or how that, that fits. But when, you, when, I, when I look at things in this garden, it, it does, everything does appear to, to fit perfectly. The experience of the garden, I think, is always greater than however many slides and pictures you see on it. Yeah. The relationship and the sequence of the areas as yeah. you move through them. On the right is the first big herbaceous border that we could, we could create, and that's about four years old now. Right. Because where we're walking along, we took out a Leyland hedge, which was 65 yards long, 15 feet high and 12 feet wide, wow. which cost a fortune. But it's opened up this vast new space yes, for this topiary yeah. garden. And it got the Leyland disease. And it was, it was because we bought an extra bit of land over here, so I've thrown the whole lot together. It's you great see, to stop, though, and turn around and see, see where we've walked from. Because see, wherever you, whichever direction you look in, there's something completely different to, to see. Yeah, well, we've only got halfway round. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at the colour of that row. Yeah, it's stunning, isn't it? It really is. Now we're doubling back on ourselves, but we're turning left and we're going through a little bit of shrubbery and we're coming up to the top of a walk we call the Serpentine and it's called that for the simple reason it's just a long, wavy walk. Well, in fact, we're doing something completely new and exciting. We've just done this with some slabs of sandstone with gravel in between, winding its way over a huge space and so far up to now, most of the thing's been quite formal and tight and now suddenly hidden away in the middle here there's a huge area which I've taken conifers again 150 feet high I think I must have taken eight or nine of them out opened the whole area up and now we're doing the new plantings swathes of grasses and hardy perennials interspersed with topiary and it's just a lot of this planting is literally only a year or 18 months old and it's so exciting to do it and to open up because the garden was getting after 30 years things are actually in your face right. and you've got to be brave and think well if I took that out what would happen I mean look standing here we could look at that beautiful Acegrisium as a specimen tree it's fabulous it is fabulous we're going to take there's a big cornice mass on the right that's for the chop ok and we'll get rid of that <laughs> but the, there are some brave decisions taken here I can see that never cease to be brave I go around other people's garden and I say well why don't you take that out <gasps> can't take it out so why not if you took that out you'd get that wonderful view and you'd see something else sure we're looking now, halfway along this walk, there's a break and there's two nice piers with urns on the top and then a vista to a stag with golden antlers in the distance and there's a low yew hedge, in, as it were, adding to the perspective and the walk up to the stag and we're looking in the orchard, which is divided into four areas and it's full of a collection of fruit trees and the main, nearly all apples, going back to the 12th century. My wife collected old apple trees... And we'll end up there. What, what was the inspiration for this stag? It was in a sale. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It was a cheap stag. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get, we'll get to that. That's gorgeous. And you can see the kind of feeling of the new planting having topra. And then there's these sort of marvellous grasses and swathes and micklemas daisies and things. We just started onto this in the last year or two. 
and I'm terribly excited about it. Wonderful snowdrop walk here, but you can imagine what this is like, just whopping ton- conifers. Yes. And just clearing this out, and the excitement of opening up and the light pouring in and realising, suddenly finding everything grows. Well, this is where I had my first flower garden, and this is some of the earliest topiary I did. I trained those over 25 years. Really? Yeah. People are impatient today. If that's something, it is, uh, well, yeah, they are, they are, don't they? But that's it, that's amazing. At that once. And the best things come to those who once. wait. Yeah, wait. sure. You, so this is just, I'm very pleased with looking back, which you couldn't before. As I said, you're standing by this cornice mass, which must be about 15 feet high. And although I put it in, and it was, in, it was 20 feet higher even than that, mm-hmm. it's quite brave to suddenly say, Take the darn thing out. It's going to look better without it. Sure. Particularly when you planted it. Yeah. Got mole. Yeah, interesting mole hills. What do you do about your moles? Do you just kind of ignore them, or, or do you have you got well, some sort of slightly. tactic to make them? Well, we do move have a on. pest control man that comes. I don't. I hate killing creatures. But there's not some musical gravel paths we through. Now you'll know where you are here because we're looking down yeah. to. The Shakespeare, what, what I call the Shakespeare urn, and where I've done the new planting of laurel, uh, which has to grow. And at the moment, one's just looking at a fence as a backing, but that needs about five years. And we're standing in a little octagonal garden, which is a garden my wife designed for my 50th birthday, which is a very long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's got a little low he- yew hedge around it, and a simple planting of begonia box. Nothing very elaborate, and then. You can probably see on the other side we've had another enormous clean-out. We're doing new planting through here. Yeah. And then we're looking in the other direction. It leads, a little flight of steps leads to a big circular garden. Huge ramparts of yew. I planted those yew two feet high into the field grass. Right. In the winter of 1974. Right. And now it's absolutely amazing to look at. So much so that it was obscuring the vista. And again, last winter... We boldly cut great curves, cutting the yew back to, to, to the trunk. It'll all spring again, yeah. and so we can, we've now restored the vista. Cutting those swathes in this hedge has made such a massive difference. Mm. To and this is a little circular garden. It was actually Anne Titchmarsh who said to me, Roy, why don't you put a parterre there? And I thought, well, it's not a bad idea, so I did. <laughs> and it's a box parterre I'm trying to recreate. I had a better one here, which got the box disease. And it's got J for Julia, my late wife, and then attached to that the bits for R for Roy, that's me, and then the kind of Baroque scrolls around. Right. And then it's all enclosed in a hedge of Lanissa and Natida Baggerson's gold, which is lovely. Yes, absolutely. Lovely golden, lovely golden colour. We had fun making this garden. I can imagine, yeah. And the most dispiriting thing, if you do plant this type of garden or garden everybody always tells you you won't live to see it and then they all sort of laugh at you to begin with and of course they laugh on the other side of their faces now <laughs> I mean I, both Julia and I could walk around and where the yew hedge was I could see that was going to be 10 feet high within 15 years but yeah. most people don't have the imagination or no, the no unfortunately well where we're standing that trees for the top okay and then we're going to reduce these here going to open the whole of this up right because when you start, you can't wait for things to grow. Yeah, you can't sure. wait for them to grow. And then suddenly, 30 years on, they just got completely out of hand. And this has got a lot of my wife's crabapple collection. And it's a lovely time of year. There's um, golden hornets. 
with those lovely tiny golden fruit spangled onto it which will stay there till Christmas unless the birds have them right. and then there's another one which is one of my wife's favourites opposite it's called Gorgeous and it is gorgeous isn't it, it look is at those gorgeous. red fruits Completely. really just spangled all over it it is amazing it is amazing. They're, they're lovely, good value small trees. What's fantastic for me is that you, you and your wife have created something and you're able to walk around here now and tell me about, you know, draw on, on your memories of your wife from the things that you've experienced in your garden having done it together. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful thing to be able to do? Yeah, it's a garden of memory. Yeah. And here we're at the big cross axis with a huge vista right the way through the orchard, back into the rose garden. And again, topiary. My best birds, <laughs> two <laughs> birds sitting on balls of yew and two walnut trees. And again, I'm very keen on beech hedging. I think it looks marvellous in spring when it's spring, when it's, uh, you know, when it oh, unfolds it's and that fresh yeah, green. Yeah. And, then, and then the autumn colour, and then it goes into that caramel and russet, and the leaves stay on through the winter, which is great. Yeah, yeah, completely. And there's a lot of inscriptions in the garden. This way, looking on, this is a little area which commemorates... My wife had a great association with the choreographer Sir Frederick Ashton at the Royal Opera House Covent Garden. She designed two of his greatest ballets, one based on Elgar's Enigma Variations music and then another one based on the Russian playwright Turgenev's Months in the Country. So we've got two urns and then the two inscriptions, Enigma and Months, just to recall that famous association because we planted this bit of the garden when Julia was actually working with him at Covent Garden. Okay. So it's always called the Ashton Arbor. I always love personal things in gardens. I like anything. It's not just a design solution. And here on the right, we did an enormous clear-out from an area. We virtually emptied it. And then this Portuguese laurel, uh, Prunus lusitanica, which I again put in a few feet high, was revealed. This, it must be about 20 feet high. Great dome. It's a beautiful specimen. And we're now just going to set that one beautiful tree off to an advantage by doing a circle of gravel beneath it and doing the same thing to a liquid amber behind which I put in two feet high in the field grass. Okay. And, and again, we've been clearing all this away. But the vista leads up to this is a sort of ego trip, really. When I resigned the Victoria and Albert Museum in 1987, one of the farewell gifts was a sculpted plaque which has my profile sandwiched between Victoria and Albert. Oh, wow. I think it's okay. so funny. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to get two busts of Victoria and Albert, and then we added the inscriptions, a little classical temple um, in Greek, which I don't know Greek, but I thought rather smart to have a Greek inscription, which says, Memory Mother of the Muses. The Muses lived in the museum, of which I was a director. The garden is about memory. It's about memory of people, things we did, one's life plants given by various people all sorts of things the garden, this garden is full of memory yeah memory it faces south and the greatest pleasure is to sit on a summer's evening with a bottle of white wine and a couple of glasses absolutely yeah paradise. completely I'm, I'm, you've, you've taken me there paradise paradise and then if you sit in the temple you look the other way and there is a great downhill vista Gosh, to yeah, the, the, the Shakespeare urn Gorgeous. at the other end Still working on it. Now yeah, we turn. Yeah. Turn left. Right. <laughs> Keep going. Oh, there's a nice planting the, the here. Paul's Himalayan mask. Look at the Vetus, the yeah. divine, climbing up the weeping silver birds. 
It is amazing the way you've managed to plant these things, the way in which the garden draws your eye to all the different aspects and all the different elements of it. It behaves in such a way that you're completely inspired to look because there's quite a lot of detail, and yet, but the detail isn't at all pretentious. It's just about right, even well, to the extent where these you've oh, got the wild strawberries. I love them on around. the steps. It's yes. just absolutely brilliant. Yes. It yes. really is. No, and that just that's nature's bound. It just happened. I really hate the expression formal garden because it sounds stiff. Sounds formal, doesn't it? It It's I mean, this garden is quite relaxed. It is. Oh, no, it's just... So we're just wandering around and we're... Particularly gorgeous. Now we're going to go into the This is my wife's creation. It's dwarf rooting stock, which is very easy to pick and it's a collection of about 60 old apple trees and pear trees Gosh. and then it's interplanted with rugosa roses standard wisteria and in spring thousands of spring flowers yeah. dappled with spring flowers avenues of them then the blossom comes on the trees then the standard wisteria's flower then at long last we've been working on this for some years we've got ro- roses trailing through the trees right in right. summer which is oh so beautiful then yeah. there's the fruit in the autumn and then the hips on the roses so it's got a complete kind of planting yeah. sequence the trouble is there's only me to eat all the fruit <laughs> <laughs> there must be lots of pickling going on and preserving yeah. and stuff like well, that well, there's another monument to two cats over there oh right yep Susie one side and Lark in the other have you, have you had cats right through your life then, really? No, I haven't, only when we came here, because I, that was the first time we were able to have animals, because, you know, the sort of life one lived. Yeah, sure. Well, we'd better push on, haven't we? It is, it's great, yes, we're ashamed to rush it, though, really. We don't say well, uh, it's, it's beautiful. I th- I, this orchard's incredible, considering... Well, you, I, you, I, you think this was a kind of... Stag. You'd like to do that. I would. This, um, the orchard looks like it's been here for generations, though. No, it's quite, quite new. Let's go to the There top. you are. Well, we mentioned... See, what's incredible is we've backed up to something I saw 15 minutes ago and it appears to be in a completely different place to that which I saw it originally. Well, it's a, a recumbent stag with gilded antlers. I'm, uh, I'm afraid I have to admit they're 22 karat gold. <laughs> I've tried every form of gold paint. And then it's sitting on a plinth against a huge swathe of clipped... New hedge, which looks marvellous, and also flanked by golden new train, just as columns, and then the whole of the pedestal is swathed in rosemary, which almost comes up between the antlers at yeah. the back and all the way around and through the animal's paws. And then there's an inscription, which is from Milton's Paradise Lost, uh, where the Garden of Eden is described. A circling row of goodliest trees, laden with fairest fruit, blossoms and fruits of golden hue at once appeared, with enamelled flowers mixed. And in, in where it described the orchard exactly, and it's one of the great passages which inspired the landscape garden in the 18th century. And it's also framed by Rosa Roxburghii, and you will notice on the right the Rosa Roxburghii is 10 feet high, on the yeah. left it's about 3 feet high. Yeah. And have you ever had dead earth in your garden? Uh, we have replaced gun, the earth definitely, definitely seen it three yeah. times there nothing will grow on that spot right and you turn the other way back looking towards where there was that new exciting planting and this time the vista is to a statue of Britannia holding a golden trident must have been off the top of a Victorian insurance company I think but anyway there she is sitting in the distance <laughs> looking rather swagger 
And again, we're standing on a path which my wife designed, which was again uses Victorian tiles, Victorian industrial brick, and all sorts of quite innovative it is, things. That it is gorgeous. I, I particularly like the kind of mosaic patterns on yeah, there. Well, she was brilliant at that. And, and, and just using broken roof tiles, which you got for nothing, just right. pressed into concrete. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Very imaginative. Yeah. Now we go to the kitchen garden. I've got something um, that you can use for your uh, dead earth there to bring it back to life. I'll oh. send. I'll send you a bag. Yeah, we're coming to the works now. The small greenhouse on the right. There's a garage where tools are kept. There's the bonfire site. There are compost heaps all the way right, around here. Right. And yes, and it's great. There's the teasels everywhere. That's superb. Well, Sean, the, the head gardener, is wonderful here because he, anything that grows, he won't pull up. No. So it's full of teasels. It is, and, and I, I've noticed, you know, evening primrose and all sorts of all things. All sorts of things, the sand him path, all, all sorts of self-seedy things are just left. Sometimes I get wild and I go, I can't bear this any longer, I'll pull some of these up. <laughs> <laughs> well, the kitchen garden we've now entered, which must be the size of one and a half tennis courts, which I relayed out last winter, and it was empty at the beginning of April. There was nothing here at all. That's hard to believe. And it, it has been such a success. I see standing here, there's plenty of salad greens still. Um, there's leeks, there's cabbage, there's broccoli, there's chard over there. Definitely no shortage of there's no good, shortage, wholesome, no fresh food here. Of stuff carved. Yeah. I would say don't let me lie out of no, I don't think there's any danger of that to sway the flat leaf parsley down there. Oh, yes, Some nice colours as well, and a nice mix, and a, lots of nasturtiums. And also, lots of um, there's nasturtiums, you can see chrysanthemums, lots of flowers are planted into the garden. Yeah. And dahlias, you can see those there, anti rhine and sweet yes, peas just come to there. Great. Cosmos were absolutely wonderful yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of that. See, that makes that makes such a difference in a vegetable patch. A few flowers. And then, although one can't use all the pumpkins, a lot of pumpkins and you know gourds and that sort of thing which are grown, they're just grown because they're beautiful to look at. Okay. And then they're often just cut off and and, and they're just laid on the bed just because they're beautiful. Right. Just to look at. And yeah. I've got to make some pumpkin soup this this week. Yeah. Um, and again, it's surrounded by fruit trees. And one of the best bits though. is that you can turn around and see and the then, house from a, and then, from and a different then side. I'm thrilled that. That this amazing was my great extravagance because I, I demolished the 1920s garage and made this vast new vista. Gorgeous, and now we're going through a, a gate which is, is modern, you know, and uh, and yet it looks perfectly... No, this is, but it's this kind is, of in keeping, it's perfectly in keeping with the Yeah, the well, this is, this is, you know, salvage yard, and I always keep going, I, there's quite a lot of inscriptions and things in the garden and, and here at the entrance I've the sort of gate piers each side in old brick and then I commissioned two plaques one with my initials and the other one of my late wife so there's always something personal going through the garden so, yeah. and then this is completely new and as you can see I'm still planting yew hedging this will have a low yew hedge here and there's some walls each side and on one wall we're going to train figs I mean, last week, last week in the third week in October, I had ripe figs off that fig. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. A, it's a perfect aspect, there, isn't it? I guess. Oh, it's, it's south-facing. The north-facing wall. We've got we've got a north-facing yellow rose going up, and this will have a low U hedge enclosing it. As you see, the only good grass in the garden is proper turf, and the path gradually descends, as it were. And I put U in here, which I'm going to do 
Well, inevitably, more topiary. Sure. <laughs> topiary everywhere yeah. in the garden. <laughs> is a topiary exclusive to you? Uh, do you, uh, do anybody else uh, able to tackle the topiary? Oh, I pass it on. I pass it on to Philip. Once you've the done gardens. the template, someone else yes, can Yes, I'm also training him up because I think it's very important. I'm not immortal, and so I'm training him up so when I'm, I'm pushing up the daisies, he it, will continue to do it. Totally. Because it's terribly important to pass things on. It is. Pass the knowledge of the garden on. Well, that's kind of it, really. It's absolutely amazing. Gosh, what an experience. I'm so glad I've had the opportunity to walk around, you know, because it's actually, to be perfectly honest, not something I probably do necessarily, you know, and, and uh, it's, I'm completely inspired by the work that you've done here. What you've been able to achieve is well, quite something. I always think people are terribly idle, you know. Yeah. You know, okay, I've got help, but we didn't have much help. The garden for the first, first 15 years was, <laughs> was run on two men one day once a fortnight, and right. one would come one day in between, and that is over three and a half acres. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, there's not much sitting around the television set in, in this place. There's always something to be done. Yeah, I know. Isn't that good, though? Isn't that wonderful? What a, right. what a, what a legacy. That's something that you've been, managed to create something that you can completely enjoy and yet you can you can leave behind and uh, and it'll be here for generations well and, the uh, thing that i have learned late in life is that the garden is about change you can't stop the clock for the garden it may seem a very obvious comment yeah and that is what i found you know you have all the onrush of making the garden you can't actually stop it and after i'm dead and gone my mandate to there's a wonderful young man called Chris Young, who's a deputy editor of the garden, who will be over the artistic director of this garden. My mandate to him is when anything's over the top, take it out and make something new. A garden is about use moving on. Sure. And, uh, and energy. It is absolutely right. Well, there we are. Well, thank you that's very it. much. That's, uh, that's brilliant. Thank you, Sir Roy. Thank you.